Hey folks, welcome to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Legendary Gear, the game call company that is legend by design. I tell you folks, this, I'm very proud this week. Uh, I got a guest who does, very rarely makes an appearance. In fact, we might be his first appearance on social media, but a good friend of mine from Northern Utah, you, he might call himself a, a, a Utard, but he's a good friend of mine I've known for a long time. Uh, Andy Parker, he's, he's a waterfowl guide and he's guided big game and He's been in the game a long time, folks, but he's a good close friend. And I just wanted to get him on the podcast. And I think a lot of you young guys, if you listen to what he has to say and some of the experiences, there's a wealth of knowledge to learn and, and some things to pass on. But hey, Andy, it's good to have you on, brother. Good to be here, George. I appreciate you inviting me to come along on this ride, man. This will be my first, maybe the last time I do this, but we'll find out how it goes. Well, just to give our folks that our listeners, you know, a little bit of your life. I mean, this guy, you, you, like you told me, you've kind of been the guy who kind of uh, wavers away from social media and the attention and posting, you know, you've been a guy who you're serious about what you do. You're very, you know, you're very um, private about what you do. And it's not that you're doing things wrong. It's just that you're focused in your life. You want to stay focused on, you know, what your family, you and your family and your business and what you're doing. And I, and I have a huge respect for that today because one of the things that kind of disrupts me and upsets me quite a bit is that today with social media, everybody wants to be a celebrity. Everybody wants the attention and it's not always positive attention. And no matter how great you think you are, you're going to have some numb nuts there. It's going to cut you and, and tell you, you know, there are always some of the little lurches that sit in the dark wanting to make their their pot shots but uh, I appreciate you being on and I'll tell you what just to give our listeners your kind of life I called you today to get a hold of you and you send me a picture right back you're out in the marsh man you guys are working in the hot sun and and uh just tell me what was what were you guys doing today well we're right now we're pretty much the summer months at the club I work at uh are dedicated to a few projects the big one is invasive phragmites uh out here in utah and, and we've been battling well i think i've been back to the club this is my seventh year back uh, i started in the late 80s uh took a hiatus to run my own guide service and then when that kind of fizzled out for many reasons we'll get into that maybe in another podcast but uh i went back to this this very nice club um, and I spend the summers out doing basically habitat management. We spray invasive species. We work on dikes. Uh, we work on carp management. Um, it's just a, it's a giant piece of property, just a little under 20,000 acres. Um, and it's, it's a lot to do. So the 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 days are long and the mosquitoes are fierce and the heat's ugly but um if you want to manage a piece of property to have waterfowl in the fall you've got a lot of work to do so i'm glad to be part of it i've never been a taker i try to give back as as best i can and, and being a part of something that's private where you've got you've got control over how the marsh is 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 a is a nice thing for me after after being a public land guide for so long. I don't know how long they've been in invasive species or to get back, but I know when I was in Michigan, um, when I lived there, I had uh, we <clears> had two <throat> prominent uh, duck clubs in the backyard. And of course, as a crow flies, I was probably a mile from Lake Erie, and uh, so we had these marsh areas, and you know, in the southern Michigan and stuff, the biggest thing that they battled was just what you're doing was the Phragmites. And, um, you know, the, the, the day of the years of the cattails was, was, you know, cool, but the Phragmites just kind of choked everything out and took over. And if I can remember, I, our waterfowl biologist was my neighbor, and they're really the only way that they would try to eradicate uh, the Phragmite was burning it, and that only lasted for a year. And this stuff no, was like, it's just, wild. it's not the answer. The spray, the burn, but the process is we've got a totally different solution at our club and i think it speaks for itself um and awesome. once you once it gets to a certain point where you have to spray it so much and burn it 
you've basically killed all your native species too. And then the first thing that comes back is that frag and you've got to get out there in the summer months when it's hot and ugly and you've got to spot spray that stuff. So you're, you're killing the young plants that are coming over the stuff that's rhizomally that's under the water that you can't get with the spray. You got to get after that. And then once you get your native species reestablished, then basically what we do is we just walk miles and miles through the muck with backpacks with they're about 40 pounds three gallons of chemical and you just walk and you spray every blade of that crap every year and that's it takes it's us all summer to do twenty thousand acres it's a hell of a project but uh the results speak for themselves i mean we've got native species and habitat that looks like it did back you know in the 1800s you know even though this was the duck hunting clubs and stuff we they, the deer population and this is you know what deer population we had there when we hunted um because of the frag mighty was so vast that when you hunted it was totally dude it was like you were hunting deer in vietnam those deer had trails instead of woods trails that went through the vag, the frag mighty and it and oh, it's area, it, it is and it reminds you that you thought you were in south vietnam um hunting deer but um anyway I, Andy, I met you years ago, and I, I got to put a plug in for Ray Brand. Ray, will, he'll be so happy. This will make his day. In fact, he'll probably go out and kick his heels uh, if he can do <laughs> he it. He might. Yeah, Ray, Ray is, I'm telling you what, he, for years, when I first came out there, and, and I'm going to tell you, we can't meet a better family and two better people than Ray and Rich, Richard Brand, and and they've always been good to me. They're like family, and, and they've always spoke highly of you, and I, I believe that you're responsible for probably Ray's passion into waterfowl that he has today, turn him into a maniac. Uh, Cause he's always talking about Parker. You know, he always, Hey Lynch, you gotta get a hold of Parker. You gotta do a podcast with Parker. That'd be a good one, Lynch, you know? And, 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 and he always said, you know, hey, I've hunted with Lynch, I hunted with Loeffler, Hawthorne, but old Andy Parker, man, he can put those birds down in. <laughs> it just he'd always get into it he wanted me to tell you something about uh you still have the crappiest decoys i don't know what that oh, was yeah. <laughs> every guide out there makes fun of me they all give me their old crappy decoys that are barely floating because i just like it doesn't matter it's all about placement and calling in my opinion you can have fully flocked this and that and i i just slay them over those old crappy decoys when they finally sink i throw them in the garbage so <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? It, it's there's a lot to be said about that. In fact, you know, he we were talking uh, not too long ago. He, you know, earlier on he was hyped up about a certain brand of decoys and this and that, and then he, you know, it came down when we were talking about you, and I think he started visualizing and started reminiscing about hunting with Parker. That you know, he what he watched you do. Maybe decoys ain't quite as important as I thought they were. You know, it's about <laughs> knowing what you're doing and being in the right place at the right time. And I totally agree with that. But I will yeah. remember, I was, I think, what I was thoroughly impressed with when I first met you. I knew you were a waterfowler, but me being a waterfowler and a big guide hunter, I love hunting whitetails. I love hunting big game. And when I saw your your photo albums, and you know, it wasn't something that you were. Uh, bragging about you threw in my face in fact i think it was ray that that hand me one of your photo albums with uh, the years of the big game that you had guided and dude i was just like i was just saliving at the mouth and you know <laughs> you're what's cool about you dude is and i think that's why i connect so well with you is that uh you know you love the waterfowl but i can't just call you a waterfowl guide i mean you're you're tremendous i think if if andy was to guide gophers or to sit there and, and whatever he was guiding, you're going to be the best you can be at whatever you're guiding and you take serious whatever you're doing and your thought was always about the hard doing your homework excuse me it wasn't always about uh relying on tech and and you know the, the gimmicks you're always about doing the hard work and doing your homework and yeah and I, I'm going to agree with that too. because as a, as a, anybody that's been in the outfitting business before, you've got a couple of paths when you start out. I started when I was 18 uh, with an elk hunt um, and I just, I just loved it. I just knew this is what I wanted to be, but 
you have got to get into everything if you want to make this a lifestyle you got to be a good fishing guide because the hunting season's only so long you have to be into archery because that extends your season you got to be obviously i was doing about i was averaging about 85 guided days a year with our waterfowl program and the rest of the time i was out scouting so i was pretty much out 107 day season i was out all of it and then you know i'd roll into my steelhead season and then boom 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 back into turkeys and right there again back to summer fishing and then you just can't make it and that was with odd jobs on the side you know i don't know anybody that's a professional guy that hasn't pounded some nails uh or tied some flies or whatever you got to do to make ends meet you know i was a young guy with a new family and and uh you know you just you work your butt off i never had the best gear but i had the gear that got me to where i needed to go and and uh, the rest is hard work i think that uh, i agree with you and i think your hard work ethic one of the things I, that uh, i remember talking with you because i was an athlete and sports was a huge part of my um adolescent years and growing up and then through high school and up through there you know I was really strong into to the sports and you were a huge soccer player weren't yeah, you still I, I still coach a lot man I, I I enjoy the coaching tremendously and I do I do as much as I can after work and in in the seasons where I'm not as busy so and and I and I like I said I, I played I was a three basketball football baseball you know the typical midwest but I will tell you this, I've played soccer. I've had good friends who were soccer players and soccer is like one of those most conditioning and some of the toughest guys out there. And I, it's probably what instilled some of your hard work. That, I was a uh, goalkeeper. Was... So I was oh! a goalkeeper. Yeah. So yeah, that's what, that makes a lot of sense. To a lot of people who know me. Hey, anybody put the that's... fat guy as a goalie. We always put the fat guy as a goalie. <laughs> You got to put the craziest dude in there that just doesn't care about Kid. anything but keeping the ball out of the back of the net. And that was me. So my body, yeah, I'm going to use my whole body. That's yep. awesome. Yep. That's I remember, uh, I can remember there was you and I, Pat and Ray. Um, and I think I was, I can't remember if I was out there. For, I think I was out there for the show of the, uh, at the Salt Lake at the great big um, outdoor event. And I was judging out there. Or actually, I blew in the no. I was judging that year before I was. I blew in the contest, but it was the big show. But I, that's when Ray hooked me up with you, and we went out into the marsh. And I'll never. Yeah, we forget went out that. after. I remember that we went out after youth youth waterfowl season used to be two weeks before the general season, and they just basically opened the WMAs up after youth waterfowl season for two weeks. You could just access the marsh go go on a bow ride whatever i think we were probably a week into it i think we went out to howard slough if i remember right and uh pulled it's over the dike some... and went out in the middle of that main unit and just man we got just it was spectacular oh, there was <laughs> fifty thousand I mean, birds in that lake just yeah our migration there. starts our migration starts at the end of September. So by the time waterfowl season comes in, we've got a substantial portion of our birds are here for the season. And it's a, it's a different deal than, than a lot of y'all have back in the, in the Midwest where you're waiting for birds to come in with storms. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and that these birds are here and they stay as long as we'll let them stay. Uh, it was a special place back in the late eighties, early nineties, when I cut my teeth as a guide, uh, you know, 700 and something thousand acres of public marsh and 6 million birds and not a lot of hunters. It was, uh, I'll never forget wow. it. You took us back, dude. I, I'll never, I was in the boat with you and I didn't maybe go after the dike, but once we got out of that marsh, also we got in and there was like, we just walked it. We just rode into duck heaven and these freaking ducks. And I'm like, Holy crap. And I remember that there was a eagle or a hawk or something, an osprey that was trying to kill them, one of the ducks, you know, killing the ducks here. But I was blown away at how many ducks you had. And I found it with uh, Ray out there a little bit. I think we'd done some goose hunting. Actually, it was a friend of Ray's that, you know, in the business and he's in the EFIS business. Uh, Capital Builders was a, a customer, or actually the um, 
supplier that Ray used to get their stuff from. And I knew them actually before Ray. And I came out there and, and hunted a little bit with them as part of my job was to go out, you know, a perfect person to send to get customers happy was send me out there and, and duck and goose hunts. But I remember there was a couple private clubs and with dikes and stuff, but we saw ducks and we hunted some of the geese and y'all didn't really, to me, seem like you had a huge population of, of, of Canada geese, except in, in, you know, I saw we hunted some snow geese, but I was truly impressed with Utah. I did not know Utah had the amount of ducks. And folks, if you're listening, say that, that was then the ducks have all left Utah and they never come back. But the amount of ducks. <laughs> They're still here, but we got a lot of, of issues. We got a lot of issues, and I, I hope we can get into some of those on a future podcast. But uh, we still got a tremendous oh. population of birds that come through here. And you know, obviously, I'm 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 done with my my 23 years as a as a public marsh guide. I'm, I'm now on private property, but the private property that we have just holds just obscene numbers of birds and it's just a it's a wonderful place to kind of enjoy the twilight of my duck hunting guiding career it's it's just it's a magical place and i'm happy to be a part of it so can't imagine well i, I mean the hours that have been spent in a blind with you with, with with strangers and people that you know out there trying to get ducks but i want to make an introduction to our listeners real quick folks that uh Andy and I have talked and, and there's some issues that it's come up, you know, like everywhere else where you're at, there's always something going on and we face it no matter where we're at. But one thing that you've got to respect with Andy and, and I, I respect because I look at it as myself, you know, if you know, earlier who talked about, he's not a taker, you know, he, he gives so much of himself into what we do. Um, you know, when you're guiding, dude, yeah, we're making a living, but we're out there for other people's success, not for our own. And, um, there's some issues that's come up that uh, you and I have talked about, and we're we're not going to discuss it today. But I just wanted the folks know that uh, it's something that's it's a thing that you're working on, that you're dedicating a lot of your life to, not to uh, to better for duck, you know, to make something better for the for the waterfowl hunters in Utah. And I respect that, and we'll bring that up and hopefully in future podcasts. But I just wanted the people know that uh, you know we're not going to get into it now. There's just you're laying down the foundation, what we talked about, you're doing your homework, you're putting the, you know, there's a, we learned this years ago when I was in manufacturing, we had some of the best consultants that I worked with. And one of the worst things you can do is tell somebody, well, why do you think that's so, Mr. Lynch? And I said, well, my opinion. And he'd always say, let me tell you, opinions like, everybody's got one. <laughs> you're damn right there, fact? man. And, and people where's have different. Go ahead. Where's your, you got to collect your data. Present your data and present the facts and you'll get people's attention. And yeah, I agree with that, that. Basically, and that's what you're doing now. Respect that, my friend. And we'll bring yeah. that up in future podcast. I hopefully we'll we'll get to discuss that. And, and truly, folks, I, it, I can see where it's definitely a detriment. Uh, what's hurting our industry, it's hurting. And I don't like calling it a sport. It's hurting a way of life. It's hurting what we love to do. And and not for just Andy's sake, it's for the future generations of those who are coming up who want to do what he did for all the years of his life. And they yeah. they should be allowed and they should be allowed to have that opportunity like you did, like I have. You know, they should yeah, be allowed and I think for if that. we if we don't start thinking about the future of this resource and how we're managing, how we're dealing with hunter recruitment and hunter retention. We're going to lose the sport. I'm telling you, man, I'm just my kid, prime example, dad, pro guide. Every time we go out, you know, it's he's just not passionate about it. He will go with me a couple of times a year. And I I I just adore every minute that we get to spend in the woods. Uh, he loves to hunt turkeys. Uh, he likes to go duck hunting with me about three or four times a year, but it's on his dime. Like, I want to go at 10 o'clock, dad, and I don't want to walk very far. And, it, you know, we always get some birds. And he's one of these kids that when we get four or five ducks and we he feels like he's, what he says, feeding my family, we go. He's like, that's enough, dad. And I just pack it up and go home. It, it's kind of a cool way that he looks at this, but he's never going to be passionate about this. Never in the world is he going to, He's never going to go to a DU banquet. He's never going to go to a Delta function. He's never going to be involved in management. He's just going to be a part-time participant. And 
once we lose those people that are passionate about the sport and maintaining it for future generations, it's, uh, we're going to lose it. You know, Andy, that, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that is a, a, that's a, actually a pet peeve of mine. It's one of the things that um, people don't realize. And, and we focus, you watch the young guys. And, and, and I think that I've watched because I've, I'm one of the few guys, maybe the only guy who's judged the world goose and world duck. Um, and I did it in the same year. But um, all these calling contests that have, have people call me that, hey, will you come judge? I've watched and through the years, the participation gone, especially since social media has come aboard. It's gone. It's dropped. It's dropped right off. And it's almost got to even money. These kids today, that isn't, you know, the top callers are going to come for the money because they're almost guaranteed they're going to get in that. That's, but I've seen good contests that in the years past had 45 or 40 or 50 in, in participants that some of the guys who were duck callers would jump into the goose calling because there wasn't enough con com uh, participants to make 10 callers, you know, wow. and, and it's dropped off. And, and, but what I'm saying is that uh, the social media and the calling thing, the calling contest, these guys got so hipped up and they got so critical that, you know, anybody who posted an online contest, the, the negativity of cutting somebody, instead of we've become a, 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 a a society that is easy to cut down and have negative words and, and not be positive and, and cut people. And I think it, what it's doing is deterring kids because nobody wants to go. I mean, some kid isn't going to go on there and have, you know, when I was tough and I wanted to learn to get better in sports, it was an adult, somebody who was, who was seasoned, who would chew and make me better. And I would respect that, but I wasn't going to take a or somebody ridicule me who was one of my peers. You know, and that's the thing that's happened on social media so much. So you and I have so much to compete with, with the younger generation, trying to get them involved. I think they're better off if we kept them off uh, social media and just enjoy life as it is. But, you know, it is what it is. But yeah. I think, you know, it, I've seen that in the calling industry that it, it's I think the social media has actually been a deterrent. If, you know, the guys who are in it and the guys who have been hardcore in it, who've been in it a while even the guys who are considered the younger guys, they're kind of getting to be the medium, the medium old guys in it now because there's no really young blood coming in behind them. And so no. they're kind of, you know, they run the social medias and they're still enjoying it, but they don't understand that, the, you know, the world that they're living in is that big. And, yeah. um, and it's so easy to criticize somebody when you're sitting behind a computer and there's no ramifications. I mean, just some of the stuff that I've been through with social media is, you know, it's, it, it, it's disheartening, but you know, these people that are just so openly critical about whatever you got to say or whatever idea you have would never in a million years stand six inches from me and have those same words. It's just, oh, no, it's, it's, it's chicken shit. It's chicken shit. Yeah, chicken shit, you know? yeah whooping would change your, your, your view and attitude. And that's what you and I, I mean, back in the day, if you had a problem or something and you pointed or you called somebody out, there wasn't social media. If pretty much you called somebody out in public and they're going to answer that call, the keyboard cowboys, I want to say it, it's been detrimental and I've seen it hurting, especially in the calling industry. So what Diane and I are trying to really been focusing a lot with legendary gear is that, and we we've watched it. She's, you know, manu, uh, marketing is her background. She worked in New York city. She worked for time Inc. for TV guide sports illustrated. She did TV commercials, sports illustrated direct response. So what I'm trying, when we go out there and, and when I'm putting stuff on YouTube, she's actually to see what is getting the most uh, attention, what's getting the most response. And it isn't stuff that is actually, gibberish stuff or which some of the stuff like the kids post today i'm just sitting there going i cannot believe people are listening <laughs> to this. i can't believe you know you and i talked about this earlier and i'm not trying to get off subject but you know i've watched some of the hunting footage and guys i'm not trying to cut your nuts but there's always i believe in life and 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 when you're talking you know when you get older in life there was a skilled trade so you always start, started out in an internship and an internship means that you had to work so many years on the job and then you had to be tested before you could ever be so licensed as a journeyman and when i look at 
Andy Parkers and the George Lynch's and guys like that. We are journeymen who spent years of internship to get where we're at today. It's something that can't be bought. It can't experience, be something that we dude. Can experience is something you cannot buy you can watch youtube as much as you want and you can gain some knowledge a little bit of something but there's i'm telling you nothing replaces actual in the field actual birds in your face that actual big buck in front of you knowing the feeling of the weapon in your hand and one of the animals of a lifetime is out there and just you know feet awake and you swear you can hear your heart beating and being able to control those emotions and i get you know it's something that sports kind of helped me but you can't teach that it has to come with experience and when i'm doing my but the point I was trying to get the educational things kids do want to be trained. They do want to learn. They do want to have someone that, that can teach them. And, um, and I, even in some of the past podcasts I'll talk about, and I'm doing calling instructions, the calling instructions have done well. I've had people from Arizona, California, and it's so cool to come. Hey, my kid is watching your, your videos every night. And I keep trying to tell them, you know, judge yourself at your own pace. Don't compare yourself at someone else's level. Always try to better yourself each day, but compare yourself for yourself. Set your own goals, not someone else's goals. And um, th- th- it's, it's done well. But what I still try to instill, I said, you know what? I can tell you how this works. I can tell you about what parts of the anatomy makes it works. I can lead you all the way up to it. But the, like the old analogy that I can take that horse to water, but I can't make the horse drink. And that you still have to do. I can't get into your body and force that into you. So you under get the muscle memory. You don't get the, you know, understand how everything is done up here. That still has to come from you, my friend. Yeah. It's something, can't, it's something that can't be from a remote and be clicked and be automatic. It's something that you have to adapt. You have to build the muscle memory. And that's the same way. Now I taught you the sounds. I can't teach you how to read the geese until you go out in the field and nobody can have any program on Instagram, Facebook, whatever's out there. Nobody has a program of actual field moments that you can blow that sound and see the reaction of a goose unless it's real in the field yourself. And that is how you build the experience. Yep. And man, I want to expand on that, George, because I I think that you hit, hit a subject that a lot of guys, you know, kind of towards the twilight of my career was like, how do you do, how are you so successful out there every day? And, you know, obviously I had days where, where we struggled. It, it's part of guiding. It's part of waterfowl. But what I relied on was my experience of X spot with X wind. And when my scouting, I, I knew that there needed to be a certain number of birds in a place. Um the wind had to be a certain direction and I would set up my decoys a certain way. And I'd hunted these places for 20 years. So I knew going into it that I was going to be successful. Granted, somebody didn't beat me to the spot, which was pretty rare. As you, <laughs> towards the end of my career, I was doing some really crazy stuff. Um, multiple dike jumps, access in motorless areas, with mud motors dropping the motor off and paddling out i mean it was just nuts what we were doing at the end because it was just getting real difficult with uh people catch on they pick they, you cannot hide the sound of a shotgun shell <laughs> people hear a lot of friend. shotgun shells going off in the in the marsh and they're going to come find you and uh sooner or later your your secret spots on public land are not secret anymore so staying ahead of that game you know, every year I just try to find some new area, try to find some new areas. And, you know, you're talking about 800,000 acres of, of public access as marsh. You know, I, I, you know, I didn't hit it all. And I, I wasn't allowed on the refuge um, just because the feds wouldn't give me a permit. But, man, that was another really cool place that now that's where I like to hunt. When I go to hunt public land with my kid or somebody else, I go to the federal refuge because I don't know what it used to be like. And I don't have that sitting in the back of my head where, man, if I went to Harold Crane or one of these other WMAs or out to the Spur or Black Rock or wherever these old haunts where I used to just crush them. 
And I went out there now, I'd be just, I'd be devastated. I'd be just like, yeah, because they're just, you know, just not like it used to be. Um, but the refuge, the refuge is a can... new thing for me because I haven't hunted it. So it's like, it's the experience of, hey, I think I need to go here. Um, there's some birds in here and I think they're coming from this rest and I need to set up my decoys. And I found a couple little spots that I hit with my canoe and my kid and we, we do all right, man. It doesn't suck. And plus the time you spent together. I mean, that dude, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. You know? It's, it's, it's cool to, to be involved with something that that's the exploration is what kind of fueled me as a guide. And that's why I did so much in so many different States um and what turns me on about this move that i'm going to make to florida here in a few years is just that virgin like i don't know anything about it i've been down there for 20 years but for little weak blocks and when i get down oh, in there it's, i'm going to be like a kid that, that in a candy like i never heard of, oh, 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 florida i haven't heard this speak you need to, <laughs> to tell me more about florida here this is something new to me well you know i've what, been kicking this around I've just kind of, I'm not burned out on the West, but, you know, I've just kind of been there, done that, you know, I've been involved with the heyday of mule deer, uh, you know, that the elk when they were just huge and big and all of our units, the moose hunting, which I cut my teeth on, you know, that was kind of my, my go-to thing that I did a lot of governor's tags and a lot of the, you know, big tags that were out i got the phone call to do those because i was a, i was a really good shyrus moose guide and uh i just kind of you know what i mean it's, i need that next piece of exploration we started going down to alabama oh 25 years ago and hitting that florida panhandle and i just absolutely fell in love with that place hey, just for the, ducks or waterfall for ducks is that what fishing dude i'm i'm a fishing fish. freak man yeah i'm a fly fishing saltwater yeah. fly fishing nut and i just i can't wait to get down there and just dissect that place uh i go down there for these 10-day blocks and i used to spend five weeks down in alabama every year uh doing some trips and and tying some flies for some outfitters and and uh, just kind of immersing myself in that Southern culture that it's just such a neat transition from Western beliefs. And it, it's just, it's intoxicating. I, I can't wait to get down there. And, but it's, we're about probably four or five years out, I think, you know, my kid, my kid's a junior in high school. He'll be a senior this year. And we kind of want to be around to get him settled in his direction. My daughter's getting married and, in a month, my, my oldest. And so, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to that next piece of my life where I can start something new and not be, you know what I'm saying? It's hard to, it's hard to describe yeah, when you've done no, I, something I get it. so much, you know, it's 85 like days a year as a guide for waterfowl. I mean, I did over 2,200 trips, uh, on public land and I'm, you know, I'm still doing a lot. So I'm closing in on 3000 kind of days of, of waterfowl. And, and it's kind of hard to keep the passion burning. Um, well, absolutely. It's still wonderful. It's, like, but... it's that old cliche, been there, done that. And, and I get that. And, and at the time of your life, like with me, and I'm just going to be honest, dude, when you, when you start getting older and you start pushing the six O um i'm not far away at, you know, well you start looking it's like you know what i'm at three quarters tank of my gas my gas tank's at three quarters full already and yeah. um so that last quarter of a tank of my gas what do i want to do what is it that's very important and i get what you're saying i tremendous to get it my brother um yeah, I, I tell I you need you that exploration i i just have to have that exploration that new thing and I, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and just say that, that what the Division of Wildlife Resources did for the state of Utah with their turkey introduction and, and National Wild Turkey Federation, all the work those folks did to give us turkeys saved my life because I became a diehard, passionate turkey hunter and still am, still guide almost every day of the season. And I just, it, it saved me. It was something new that I didn't know anything about it. And now I'm just... I feel like I'm a seasoned turkey hunter. Um, I guide, like I said, almost 
every day of the season for 20 years. And it's, it's, it's just been a magical thing to have something new to chase that you're, because if you've hunted turkeys before, <laughs> they have a knack for making you look stupid. Richard and Ray and I, we went to one of your, where you were managing a club and we shot some skeet, shot some trap. I don't know if you remember that day. Yep. In fact, that when, in fact, there was a couple honkers that flew by and Ray Brown was like, hey, wait, you think you can call those in? <laughs> and I freaking turned those birds. I said, what the? Give me some, dude, are you serious? I turned around and brought those birds back. But you were, you and I got hit it off because I was sitting there because turkeys, I freaking love turkeys. Oh, and what man. turkeys was it you had out there? Was it ghouls? Not ghouls, forget ghouls, but it was a, a, a breed. Was it Rio's and Miriam's mixed? that you yeah we got they, they consider them hybrids out here we do have some mountain birds that i would i would say are more merriams and we do have some valley birds that i would say are more rios but they're i think nwtf considers these birds hybrids but they're vocal they use elevation to and just everybody that i take out here we take a lot of uh very seasoned turkey hunters at this ranch that i work at now and uh, guys from Midwest, big turkey hunters, and they love these mountain turkeys out here. They're super vocal, but they are a handful. They, they use the terrain very well, and uh, you got to call really loud, and I, I like calling really loud. So You're like me, dude. I like to hear myself call. I would love to, I would love to shoot a mature mule deer, but that was one of the things I said, I want to go out with Parker. I want him and I to go up or we've shared, but I want to kill mountain gobbler, you know, one of those mountain turkeys out there, get that summer gun mount life mounted. And because that's <laughs> a on, member of life. I am, I'm telling you, dude, we will do it. The good Lord willing and uh, be able to, to keep me going and everything. But that was what I remember out there at that time when we were shooting trap and, and you were telling me about the turkeys. I said, I knew in my head, that's what I'm going to come out here. When I hunt with Parker, that's what I'm going to come out and kill. The introduction no, of the I... birds, they just thrived out here. They're they're basically in this valley I live in. They're almost in every canyon. I've, I've not found them in a couple of different canyons, but they're basically 360 degrees. I got birds that are, I can see from my house that, that I hunt regular. In fact, my kid got his, his bird. Wow, uh, five blocks from my house up on the national forest uh we accessed i was that's on a hike really and i was on a hike that's late so in the season and and uh i was just up and i knew my kid had a tag and i blew a crow call a few times i got a bird to gobble and it was noon and i jumped in the truck and i ran down there and got him and we ran back up there with our hunting gear on and a couple hours later we yelped up this bird and he shot it at 10 yards and and uh, it was a it was a neat one to be that close to the house. Isn't that awesome? Dude, it is. Something about a turkey. The only thing I'll say the elk elk hunting to me I haven't yet. I got to hunt with Ray there that one time, and that was turkey hunting on steroids. And of course, yep. with me, I like anything that I could call. But yep. turkey is is up there, and um, you know I shot mine this year with a four. I have my uh, stepdad's four ten. It's a Remington eleven forty eight. It's it's a collector's. It's it was a, it's. A, I have the four ten and the twenty eight gauge in the skeet model mint condition. But I said, you know what? I want to kill a turkey with a four ten this year. Uh, Kyle Jones, my good friend with Apex, sent me so and the Apex is wicked. He sent me some number nine shot in, in the Apex in the four ten. Mm -hmm. We were so busy um, traveling that before we, we were up in Saskatchewan, had to speak, but we had a show. I did find one for my wife and she killed him. Like I said, he was 29 pounds. And then um, I, when we got back, I got a chance to, I located a bird and went out with my, you know, and I went out with that old 410 and that apex load and, and, and worked him in, let him come all the way into the decoys till, yeah, you probably could have shot him with a slingshot, but I shot him <laughs> with a 410 and it was so cool. And, and, um, it's just, I don't know how to explain it. it, it you know, yeah. I don't want a bigger, I don't want a bigger gun to shoot him further. I want to get him as close, whatever it takes to get him in closer. And usually that just takes hard work and, and, and learning to sound like one and learning to know their, 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 their habits and how they like things. And, you know, that's what it takes. It isn't long sits, long sits, well, man. You've got to be a patient man to be a turkey hunter. 
yeah, and decoys and and this and that does it. Even if you can buy the best calls, and I'll say the calls, the calls don't guarantee um, because that takes work and that takes work and practice and everything else. But decoys don't guarantee, and that's why I said the quality of the decoys and everything like that. To me, what in the years that I've experienced, it was the head positionings that's told more about than the carving of a decoy. Because by the, I mean, we sell so much, uh, so many today that's shelf appeal but when you look and, and geese are flaring from a quarter mile away dude they don't know whether it's flocked or whether it's about the head position that's telling everybody <laughs> their eyes are on the side of their head man they can't see that far i'm gonna argue with everybody come on man i shot a i shot so many late season geese this year i'm not gonna throw any numbers out there but i still hunt over my flambo shells i mean they got to be like 29.99 for a dozen uh and those things <laughs> those things just slay the geese i set them out on the ice and uh, it's a riot ray gave me a bunch of his uh, old hardcore decoys that he was getting rid of and i finally had some like flock decoys in my set and he was like yo that's the reason you're killing all those geese i was laughing dude i had four of them out give me a break <laughs> <laughs> Well, brother, you and I are so much alike. We need to check our hereditary. But um, I appreciate your time. And we're going to have some more podcasts here coming up um, to discuss a lot more. And, and I want to hear more about your big game hunts and, and stuff. Then we're going to get into the things that we talked about earlier that's so passionate on your heart. And, and I agree with you because there's what you're in line with is so much passionate that I see and other things that need to be a, a addressed and, and handled. Do you know what, dude? Here's an old saying that if, and I believe this, I believe this in today's life, I believe whether it's government or anything else, evil only prevails when good men do nothing. And that's a kind I of agree. been a, a, I agree. That's kind of been yeah. a philosophy that I've lived by my whole life. Whether I'm right or wrong, I try to do what it is, what the good book says and what the good Lord says. And 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 have I have a conscience. I, I can't rape and take from something that has given me a living my whole life. You know, it's about what we give back. And um, I oh, appreciate man. your time. You said a mouthful. You're right, George. This next podcast or whatever, when we, when we do this, you know, I just want people to know that this was a, this is a, this is the anniversary of the 20 year battle that we faced out here in the West about how to manage public land and access for the betterment of the sport and for everybody. And we'll get into the nuts and bolts of this fight. Uh, the 20 years that with it, I've been involved with it, um, where we started, where we got to and where we're at now are, uh, are byproducts of, the management decisions and the decisions that the participating members of our sport have done. That's, that's what's made us where we're at now. And, it, and right now it's, it's, it's really in trouble. We've got a lot of problems out here in the West uh, and we need to address them or we're going to lose this waterfowl program. It's, it's going downhill big time. Uh, and we got to, we got to stop it from getting any further downhill. So I'd love to get into that with you, George, at some point, but we got a lot of work Just, to do before we get there. And we're going to get there. And, and for you young guys out there listening, this is, a, and Andy will, I'm sure will agree with me that sometimes the right decision isn't always the most popular decision. And, oh, amen uh, to that. And, I, and, I, and you learn that, but go ahead. I re I I was listening to a podcast and I, I don't remember which one it was on. And somebody said something along the lines of it's really, it's the easiest thing in the world to stand against something. Like, I don't like that idea or I, I hate that guy or whatever. And set aside your personal feelings and look at what the data, the biology, the science and then we value the hunter opinion as well. And when we put all those ingredients together and we look at the long-term, what's best management for long-term, that's where we have to steer this. It can't be political, can't be about the, the group with the loudest voice. It has to be about what's right for the resource for the longest period of time. And once we adopt those practices, we're, we're going to get somewhere where, where we're going to pass something down that our kids can enjoy. 
without a doubt, and, and I say that, uh, and I'll put this as bluntly as I can, ignorance is, is a common thing in this in this world today, not just this country, in this world. Ignorance is a common thing. And <laughs> the voice, the voice of uh, wisdom, the voice of experience is the minority. And, you know, I'm a faith believing man, and I put a lot back and I, I coincide a lot of stuff that I with, with a good book and, and things I study, but I go back and, and, you know, back when, when people talk about following religion, or I'm going to call the Christian bay, but following Christ, Christ mentioned right in the book, he says, whoa, let me tell you something. If you follow me, it's not going to, I promise you, it's not going to be a bed of cherries. The world hates me because I'm not of this world. And, uh, you know, if you follow me, you'll have to bear the cross, but you know, it's not about being popular. It's about being right. And that's what my life is. If I were, I've always told my kids, I said, if you only learn one thing from your old man, if he passed away and all the BS stories I've told you, <laughs> you can only remember one thing. It's about work hard for what you do, become the best at what you like to do, but become the best at that and work the hardest and work harder than the next person. And always remember to be cream in life. And my kids would say, Dad, what do you mean be cream? I said, cream, let me tell you something. You, this world will knock you down. And the people love to see it. if you're on top, they definitely like to see you knocked down. And you know, with cream, you can stir it up, you can knock it down. But what's cream always do? It rises back to the top. Always be cream in life remember those oh, i love that sturdy. dude i'm gonna steal yeah, that material all day long <laughs> <laughs> there's always people who want to stir you up and knock you down but you know let that go with it let it flow off never let it change who you are andy no. parker waterfowl no one is gonna waterfowl people are the worst they're i swear they're the most jealous petty group of people That's out right. there i swear it's it's Incredible. If, next, you have, if you have any success at all, there's going to be an army of guys out there trying to cut your legs off. Yeah, it's I, I put Democrats right next to him. No, I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I joke people. Don't write me in death threats. I have to hunt you down. No, I'm joking oh. again. Oh, I no, love you, George, man. Yeah, I love you too, buddy. I appreciate your time. You're like a brother to me, not, you know, the brother in, in, in the brotherhood of the hunting. And we share so much and we, you know, we haven't spent time together in the blind, but we spent so many hours of our own doing what we love to do. And we've, we've, we've worked that internship and we've worked the journeymanship. And so I, I can relate so much to what you're saying and respect how you feel. And I know, I totally respect for someone who who has done what you've done at the top of your game, yet has the the humility and is humble about what he's done. But he's done the he's been humble because he's been smart of you know <laughs> trying to pray. You know, I appreciate that so much. I will get oh. you on here again. We're going to talk some more about your. You know, I want to get in more of that because we haven't even touched that. Um, back years ago, you sent me a set of guts. That was your style. You know, everyone has a style of calling geese and um, and whatever works, whatever you think. But Andy Parker had a style. And I remember Ray told me before, man, Parker's got the style. What he does, it works. And you had designed a set of guts and we had kind of went back for but I want to get in a, a, a you know another podcast. We're going to talk about you know what was your style and what was different. But you did. It wasn't because it was a contest style. It was something that worked out in the field where you're yeah, different. If you heard the, you hear this goose call, you'll be like, "That's so different." And I've given a few sets of guts away. You were the one that really helped me because I stole the front end of one of your best calls, one of your lynch calls. Yeah. Uh, and I made the back end and I don't want to get into the nuts and bolts of it on this podcast, but, you know, making, making your own calls was kind of a brotherhood that we had together. You know, I designed Absolutely. this call and I went to my machinist buddy and I just bugged the shit out of that guy until I got this <laughs> set of guts, right. And I still have that set of guts. That's the set of guts that I blow today. Uh, it's very unique. It's very different. The cadence is completely you just can't do some of the things that you can on any other call. And it works. It's different, but it's real. It's different in the calling world sequence, maybe, but in the goose, why it works so well. I mean, in the goose world, it was pure goose. 
Yeah, they just no they just suck it up, man. They still do, man. It's funny. People go out with me all the time. It's like, dude, you shooting those geese over those crappy decoys because you're making the right noises. <laughs> you're talking. That's right. You yeah. gotta, you're talking magic, brother. I should, well, send, I, I should send a picture of my set out. I guarantee the decoy guys would just freaking roll over Who their you graves. Please? Like, really? You cannot be shooting geese over those. Yep. Dude, I want you to send me a picture. We're going to put that on the podcast logo for this podcast. And because I think I have dude, some from I, last season on the ice. I oh, want to see it. I want to see it. And, and I'll tell you guys, I'm just telling you, you know me, I, I, I'm a straightforward speaker. My, you know, and I hang around good people, people who I, who I would spend time with those are, are people close to my life. And Ray Brand introduced me to this man. And Ray is is like family to me, him and his and, and his dad, Richard, and stuff. And Andy Parker, you're right up there with him. And I can't wait to do <laughs> another talk. Well, I've never, Folks, I, was I, never on, I was never on anybody's pro staff. I'm just going to throw that out there. I was never a pro staff guy. Um, but I was on yours because of what you did for me like helped wow. me understand the calling and it was it was a pleasure to have my calls uh or your calls on my lanyard uh so hey kudos Thanks, to you man. bro you know what you bro make, coming you from make some that, great that, calls bro <laughs> that makes the world to me folks i hope you enjoy this if you like this uh subscribe to it diane has this on like nine different servers i'm i'm just a redneck i can't tell you which servers are on there but she's got them on a bunch <laughs> I hope you like it. Share it to your friends. I've always said if, if there's anything out there you want to hear about what we, you know, talk about, email me, uh, text me, reach out on Facebook, whatever social media is. We, you know, I'll talk about anything. I love to talk anything about hunting. If there's any products out there and stuff like that, just reach out. But, you know, share it to your friends and and hit like. And and uh, I can't wait to get Andy on another podcast. We will get him on here. And, and I think you folks are going to enjoy uh, hearing some of the experience and some of the things that he's done and, and uh, until then Andy I hope everyone hunts safe hunts smart and may the good Lord be your guide appreciate it George man well I'll be out there rain is shining all a part of the great design bring it on I can never get enough because that's what legends are made of